Welcome to the Leadership Matters podcast, hosted by me, Steve Parker. This is a series that brings a fresh perspective to leadership, motivation, and how to succeed by talking to a diverse range of CEOs, business managers, and world-class talent. We also offer some personal tips to help you in your career. Each episode aims to provide a snapshot into the life and philosophy of some of Taiwan's most successful leaders, and to find out more about why leadership matters. Very, uh, we're very lucky today to have Zach Fraser in the studio. Zach is the Chief Operating Officer for HSBC Taiwan. He's had a 25-year career with HSBC. He's worked throughout Asia-Pacific region markets such as Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea, Philippines, and lately Taiwan. During this time, he's had positions across a range of disciplines in HSBC's global banking and markets, wealth and personal banking, digital business services divisions. And Zach also sits on the Board of Governors of the British Chamber of Commerce, He's a member of the BCT Management Committee and is a co-chair of the UK Financial Services Committee. I, Zach, when do you have time to do anything else? Um, when I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've heard some of the podcasts, I think. You know kind of what we do. One of the things I think with big organisations, and you work in a big organisation, is I kind of want to start off with the big question, which is this looking at, you know, the future of work. Like how, I mean, over 25 years of working with HSBC in banking, how do you see banking, but also the world of work itself changing? Mm, really relevant question today, and I think I'm sure we'll get into the meat of that shortly as well, but really has it been a big shift and uh, away from sort of traditional workplaces where you, you go into an office, work nine to five, you know, fixed seating, um, so come in, plug in, log in, do your work, and then leave for the day. Um, that's certainly not the world we live in today. Um, and it's not just something that's changing as well, even more so. Perhaps probably in the last you know, five to ten years, a lot of big companies like HSBC, others, have focused a lot on staff well-being. Um, and that comes with that is this work-life balance concept, which we've certainly embraced um, significantly. And this has become very pronounced, actually, in more recent times when you, know, you have to sort of look at you know, how do you protect your, your workforce from the pandemic, which we're experiencing at the moment. But you know, with that... It's not just about how an uh, organisation evolves or adapts to those you know, to these needs for well-being. Is that how do your how do you adopt your business models to your customers to do that also? Uh, but also, what do your regulators think of that? What does you know, the wider environment think of that? And has reg, uh, regulations changing to enable that to work? Particularly, you know, and talking more specifically to what we do, information security risk. You, know, you have people working remotely; they're on their laptops, perhaps working at home. How do you ensure that what they're working, continuing to work in a secure environment? Um, so these are sort of things that we've had to do to evolve into that. But certainly, um, you know, really, you know, there's, there's a, there is a very, very significant shift. And, and yeah, and certainly sort of traditional companies like HSBC that started very, sort of very fixed and uh, in that traditional sort of work styles to what you see now with like a Google or, a, or Amazon or you see on the TV – um, how they've got so, you know, these sort of very flexible hybrid working environments. The world is definitely shifting in that direction. So how do you take a group of people from somewhere where maybe they've been comfortable for a long time? I mean, what are the steps you take to get people or an organisation from where it was to where it needs to be? Yeah, that's a, another really good question. So a lot of – and you have to sort of look and understand what people's personal lives are like as well. Um, 
what's their living environment, right? So when you look at a place like Hong Kong, you start talking about you know having people work in hybrid working environments, and it's it probably not just Hong Kong, but Asia in general. Many people live with their extended family in quite small places. So they really don't want to work from home, to be honest with you, um, or have very limited time spent working in sort of a home environment or a remote environment. So it's it's much more difficult to convince people in, in those situations you know, that's what they need, they should be looking to do. And we certainly don't want to force them to do that either. I think we have to find, strike the right balance there. Um, but, yeah, there is... The adoption of sort of this called the future work principles has been much easier with the younger generation. Um, it's the older generation, and I'll probably I'll classify myself in that for for now for the purposes of the chat today. Um, where you know that that's been a bit harder to convince people um, because they've had a career over spanning twenty, thirty plus years where they've operated in a certain way, a certain modality, which is. You know, come into the office, I see my team, I know what they're doing, they clock off, I go home, they go home. This idea of visibility is a big one. I, it seems a theme that's run through a lot of the conversations I've had in this studio have been about fear of, of what my people are doing. Like if I can't see them, how yeah. do I know that they're actually doing something? Yeah, look, that's... yeah, And, and one, of the, one of the things that you know, I've certainly tried to bring to the business here, and I think many of my colleagues run HSBC in the region have done the same, is if you don't trust your employee to work at home and do their work diligently and be productive, why did you employ them, right? Um, you know, if you can't trust them, you know, you, you're not supervising your staff members and they're off talking to customers and selling, in some instances, very complex products. You know, so you're not supervising them there, but you trust them to do that. So why is it when someone's sitting at home and working in a home environment that all of a sudden you don't trust them anymore? That for me doesn't make sense. It's it's yeah. for me, it's it, and it's just it's taking people over that over that line and convincing them that you know that their same same trust you know sort of platform that you have should remain unchanged. Um, um, but equally, what we are finding, let's move you know, to take this move along on this concept of the hybrid working environment, people are actually highly productive um, we're finding people to be highly productive now this is not in a situation where they're working from home five days a week during a pandemic but when they're sort of three days in the office two days from home or four days in the office one day at home so look at those sorts of ratios the time that people are spending at home they're taking their kids to school or picking them up from school when like i'll speak for myself i worked from home yesterday and i pick up my daughter from school about once a month and that was yesterday. And just the look on her face, picking her up. So that was one hour out of my day, which I don't get normally. I go home and I'm happy. I've, you know, my daughter's happy. You know, you get, and then you go back into your work and complete whatever you need to do for the rest of the day, be it a call or a task or a port. It could be anything. Your, your frame of mind is in a very positive place. So therefore you're going to, you're going to, do what you're doing much better. Right? The outcome's going to be far more enriched because of that situation. Zach, we, we've talked a lot about the future of work, but I want to talk a little bit about you. And because uh, how, how does someone go from being a trumpet player? I'm not. I'm not dismissing trumpet playing, right? But it's a, It's not exactly the kind of beginning point you would imagine for a a global banker of your level. Uh, well, it's, it's in, yeah, but uh, I remember that conversation. I remember seeing the looks on people's faces and. Uh, and 
recently connected with one of my old tr- trumpet teachers, actually, and uh, and described it as the accidental career. Um, it was, you know, so you know, starting out and sort of finishing off through high school, I was, I was spending an, an extraordinary amount of time studying music um, and uh, playing trumpet and doing all the theoretical elements of that, going through the various examinations, doing the recitals, the concerts, the, the orchestral work, um, band work. Um, so this was going to be your career, possibly. Well, it, was, it certainly was something that yeah, I was prioritising. Um, and e- even up until the point to which I joined HSBC as an 18-year-old, um, yeah, it, was, it was still there. Um, and I couldn't really tell you what the tipping point is here as to when you know, one, one sort of dropped and the other one rose. Um, but it became pretty definitive when, at the time which I was offered a role in Hong Kong. To, to leave Australia for the first time and, and work in Hong Kong was pretty was pretty clear by that point that things had moved on. It's, it's the it's the allure of travel, right? Yeah. What you imagined music might have given to you, yeah, suddenly realized the d- bank was going to yeah, a different kind of romance, right? Um, but there's a the interesting, you know, and, it, and to be honest, there are no regrets here with this. Um, you know, it uh, you know when I so you do reflect back on these things is that you know, I was competent at that. Uh, I was never going to be great at that. Um, yeah, look, I'm, okay, so I'm, I'm a very structured person by nature anyway. And I think a lot of it, a, the structured environment that I got from being in a more corporate sort of role um, was, was probably, yeah, probably spoke a lot to me, I think. Um, being being in, in, in the music space, you know, and you know, watching a lot of my friends evolve through that process. I still have many friends, some of them very, very successful um, in their music careers. But they spent a lot of time, many of them, in very unstructured environments, searching for the next thing to do, um, and uh, and trying to sort of establish themselves in a, in, in 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 that space. Now, you know, and that can be very unforgiving. I look, and any anywhere can be very unforgiving. But there's something to be said about you know how art it's called artists in general. Yeah, it's a very unstructured environment. Or can be until you until you become established. Um, I think I think the thing with the creative arts is it it should be structured. You know there is a kind of a process that people should follow necessarily, but not. I I, I think often people who are drawn to the creative arts initially are drawn to the creation side of it. But if you're going to be successful and make a living out of anything, you have to have a structure, a plan, a process, marketing, uh, sales, all of these kinds of well, things. Well, moving from, you know, completing some studies at a conservatorium somewhere and then leaping into, you know, a you know a principal or second or third trumpet position in a leading orchestra is a big, big jump. And, yeah, and from point A to point B there, there is a lot in between where there is very little structure. I, I think being aware of who you are and what you want out of your life and what you want to do, I think is a massive step, which I, I mean, I'm, I'm 55 now. I have, I really still have no idea <laughs> who I am and what I want to be. Oh, I, I agree. I, st- I still, I'm, I'm like, you know, what, what do I want to do? What do I want to do when I want to grow up? Right, know, I'm, I'm right. still, I'm still at that phase. Right. Um, and trust me, yeah. almost everyone who's in this room has the same, you know, these yeah. are powerful, successful people like yourself and all of them, all of them, almost to a T uh, are still thinking about what they want to be when they grow up. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's a professional golf when you retire or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, but it's. But I think you know you're saying that that point of self awareness. You know, for most people, I was quite young when when this was all happening. Anyway, like I was, you know, still 
trying to get myself out of my teens in one piece and into my into my twenties. And it's a reflective point. It's when you reflect back that you realise that you were just naturally went on that journey. Um, so sort of destiny sort of takes you that way. And it, it was the right thing to do. This um, idea of a string connecting. I, I've often said people come to me and go, oh, my CV, I don't understand my CV. And I go, you're looking at it from the wrong direction. You've got to look at it from the top backwards and then work out why you got to where you are now. Yeah, even the, you know, sometimes when people CV, there's the mistake. In right. the middle, right? And people go, well, I, I didn't really want to do that. But they learned something from it because they moved on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There is, there's always something that's connecting the dots together as people move on. This idea, so employing people I think is very interesting. You talked about the blips, right, the mistakes in the middle of things. I, when I'm employing people, I often look at how they respond to, how they respond to the blip, things that you look for and the way people respond in interviews. Oh uh, yeah, well that's uh, yeah. You often, you often interviews are interesting, um, and you can you can tend to find. Well, I certainly tend to find that people try to explain, over-explain these sort of consequential decisions on their CV. Right? Um, try to explain it you know, as, and or justify it. Um, my, my, you can. Everyone's got a different style. Everyone's, you know, everyone's got different interview styles and what they want to get out of it. Some are very structured, very role play orientated. Some just want to have a chat and say, like, can we get along? You know, do we have chemistry? I fall more into the second category. Right? Um, but when you start to, you know, you see, look through people's CVs and you see something which is a bit of a an outlier role. And so, so what happened there? And. My preference is when people, when that's there, and, and you know, as we've talked about, it, it's the blip, so to speak. Um, I prefer people to say, hey, look, you know, I, I, I made a wrong decision, but I learned from it, and this is what led me over here. Um, and that's right, what. And, that, and let it go. Move yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, yeah, every, you've got to take the pros and cons of everything, right? You're not, you know, in, in everyone's roles, I, I very rarely do you see someone say that 100% of their day is perfection. Um, you know, but the, the you know, it's not perfection. What are you learning from it? You know, what are you taking from that in terms of how you evolve and develop yourself? So that's what I like to hear from someone, mm -hmm. you know, in, especially when we're hiring people is what are you learning from, call it mistakes or just, you know, that's not really a mistake. Sometimes you went in with something with a certain expectation and didn't turn out that way. That's that's okay. What did you learn from it? Right? You know, you, then they had an interview with the initial hiring manager you know, what went what went wrong in that interaction? That expectations weren't aligned, you know, and then what you, again? What you took forward from that? I think that's what's important. Nice. I'm gonna. I, I know that um, for you, physical fitness is also very important. Do you, Do you find that does that uh, would the absence of exercise affect the way you work, or how, how deeply ingrained is this in kind of your whole work ethos? Um. So the, the, I'll go to the first question first. Is that you know I. I I'm probably in the gym four days of five work days a week um, of the week in, uh, and the one day that I'm not in the gym, which is usually a rest day, because, you know, getting old now and need to make sure that my body gets rest. That is that day is quite visibly lethargic compared to that of the other four days. I'm I'm much you know, I tend to find I'm slower out of the gate, so to speak. Um, um, what you get from Let's step back from being in a work environment. You know, there's the, the saying, you know, healthy body, healthy mind. You know, what they say, you know, you, 
read you read up in any literature, if someone's got depression or got any sort of um, you know mental incapacity of some kind, the first medicine anyone always speaks to is what's your physical condition like? You know, are you in physical shape? Are you eating the right food? Are you are you? I do. I mean, I don't work out like you do, but I walk to work every day. And it's a th- it's a thirty minute walk, and it's a, I get there, I'm awake, I feel good. Let's bring that back into the well being parts of, of of employment, right? If your staff as well, so we actively encourage this, um, and but we did a lot of this during the pandemic. Um, so we actually ran fitness competitions, um, but the, as teams, um, where you would log in scores, uh, you know, centrally, and then you would sort of have the teams, the leaderboards being circulated on a day or weekly basis. Um, as an executive team, we would take photos of ourselves. So when I was working from home, I was you know, moving a barbell, which looked kind of strange for most people, but other people were they were doing dance, like Zumba stuff or dance or you know, people running on uh, treadmills. And it really is a sense of camaraderie that comes with that as well. Because um, all of a sudden you're, you've got accountability to a team. And I think you know, larger when it comes to the health and fitness elements, and the same with work as well, is are you accountable to the person sitting beside you, you know, as a team? Um, and do you have a shared sense of purpose and objective? And I think you get that in the work environment, you get that in health and fitness, um, and those two things can come together. Nice. I like this idea of uh, this shared accountability, I think is a really nice thing. And that's a common direction has to have shared accountability or else it isn't a common direction. Yeah, so you like, it's called the North Star. Everyone has to know where they're going. That should be aligned with the company's purpose and values, the strategy, you know, which HSBC, speaking for my own organisation, where you know, earlier last year we very clearly defined this or redefined it in some circumstances and then obviously having people aligned with that in that direction as well. So really sort of good communication, sort of filtering or you know, down through the organisation to, to, to every single person in every corner. Um, so to create that, again, sheds into purpose and accountability. I guess this is why a lot of companies value team sports as a kind of a, as a background for people to getting involved in the company. They see these things on CVs and go, oh, okay, team sports, they've worked with a group of people to, to do something or, or university groups or activities or, you know, all these kinds of clubs and stuff. Well, you never see team building exercises being mathematics in a room, right? It's always going outside and, and you know, running around, climbing things or, or so on. There's, there's a reason for that. Right? Mm. Um, and I think that it takes people out of that environment into something different and it, it tends to be something that, that relies more upon, you know, teamwork yeah, yeah, that's not a result of KPIs in a working environment. How do you, this is kind of my last question for you today, is how, how important is learning and development um, for leading a successful organisation? Incredibly important. Um, I think the investment in learning and development um, is largely understated in many, many places. Um, and I think yeah, there certainly is always room for more. Um, now, when we... Let's go back to what we were talking earlier about the kind of people, interviews, and when you're employing people. So, like personally, and I know for many of my colleagues, we, we want people that are curious, right, and, and want to continue to develop and evolve. And that's got to be done in a combination of their role, what they're doing in their job, and versus what you then bring across the table to enhance outside you know, their you know, set of tasks on a particular day, what things you can introduce. To that, you know, what programs you can bring in that enhance perhaps it could be technical skills, could be leadership development, and 
and they could be multidisciplinary as well. Like, so you say today you work in corporate banking, but you want to learn something about retail banking. Um, your on-the-job skill is not going to give you that. But when you go and you have these other learning and development programs, you can expand that. And then all of a sudden you become a leader that is that can be more transitional between roles in the organisation, bringing more value to an organisation as well. And let's not forget the fact that people get a lot of satisfaction out of learning things and seeing outcomes of that, being able to play back their learnings, new learnings in, in environments in which they're operating in. We see that quite regularly. So for HSBC, and if I probably extend this, this thought process further, we've done a lot around developing what we call HSBC University. Um, a lot of investment has gone into that where we've been loading in programs you know, into an, an online platform but let's not, let's not disregard the fact that online learning can become very bland. Okay? And, uh, and pe- people will, will find a, a very, can find a very unstimulating environment. This is the same thing that's happened with interview, uh, interviewing, with uh, presentations, with training. What, what often happens, I've found, is that people log on. If something is ongoing, for instance, if someone's delivering a presentation or a speech online, Often people will log on. You have 200 people, 300 people logged on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But how many of those people are actually interacting? Digital learning is a little bit different. I mean, you have to actually engage with it. But I, I do agree with you. I think the digital learning in some cases can be less engaging than the direct face-to-face. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, look, that's you – know, um, and I've, we've actually got a really good example as to you know, how we find a way around that. Um, and so – with these, you know, I'll go back to, I used HSBC University as an example, but we've also gone into a lot of collaboration work with uh, reputable universities. I, I mentioned Stanford before. So we've actually done some work around our innovation programs that are offered through HSBC University in collaboration with the D School, Stanford University. People instantly engage to that. There's the brand association that comes with, I'm going to have a certificate out of this that comes from Stanford University. And so we've found a lot of success in, in these sort of collaborations um, with third parties like Stanford um, in the delivery of our programs. And they're not just reading off a page or just involving sort of short clips of senior managers saying things about things. So, yeah, we, we, I think that's the future of the online platforms is these collaborations um, where you can partner up with the, with the, with the right third party, a university or a professional services company that can invigorate or provide more dynamic ways of delivering online platforms, you'll get better engagement from it. So I kind of, I want to sum up just a little bit of what we've talked about today. Um, we've talked uh, over a wide ranging area and it's been very interesting talking to you today, Zach, but I, the couple of takeaways I've got from this, I've got this idea of shared accountability, building a company that is working in the same direction. There are some obvious elements to that. Um, this idea of personally being aware of who you are, learning, lifelong learning, whether it be a company such as yours that gives the opportunity to do that or it's you personally reaching out and wanting to learn things to make yourself better at what you do or just personally. This idea of a company building an environment that, are, that encourages retention by offering talked about learning programs, um, but also giving people pride in who they are by giving them rewards, 
building teams, building accomplishment, all of these sorts of things. These to me seem like a very nice roadmap for leadership and I, and I really appreciate you sharing all of these things with us today. Cool. Thanks, Tim, and uh, we'll see you next time. You could listen to this podcast on the fourth Monday of every month and on the ICRT website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Leadership Matters by Stephen Parker. You can also check out my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.